What does it take to become successful? And what does our education have to do with it? Welcome back to the podcast that asks the question that every state educated student dreads. This is What School Did You Go To? presented by the 93% Club. And I'm your host, Sophie Pender. On today's episode, we have none other than Sharon Blyfield OBE, who is Head of Early Careers and Apprenticeships at Coca-Cola Euro-Pacific Partners. In 2022, Sharon received her OBE for services to apprenticeships. Hi, Sharon. Welcome to the studio. Hi, Sophie. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day. (laughs) Whenever you're listening, are you excited to be here? I am very, very excited. And it's National Apprenticeship Week. Oh, it has been a magical week. Uh, We have done so much during National Apprenticeship Week. I'm amazed I'm still awake. Let's try and keep you awake for this podcast then. (laughs) The first question I'd like to ask you is, what did you want to be when you were younger and why? There were two things I really wanted to be when I was younger. The first one was an air hostess because I just wanted to travel the world. And I also wanted to be, and it's not because of you, but I also wanted to be a lawyer. So I used to watch a lot of the American soaps and I was like, I could be a lawyer. I'm inquisitive. (laughs) I want to ask questions. And neither of those two things have I done. So the air hostess bit kind of went out the window because I went for a job and didn't get it with a world famous British airline. (laughs) Name and shame. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was only 18 at the time. So they were like, no, you're not for us. Um, And then I never pursued law. But you know what? I spend a lot of time in employment law based on working in the profession that I work in. So I kind of got a little bit of the law side of it. But those are the two things when I was growing up I really wanted to do. So I'd like to take you back to your childhood. What was it like growing up for you? Gosh, you are really taking me back. So I'm a girl from Shepherd's Bush, West London. I'm always proud of the West London bit. I'm the only girl uh, of my late mother. Uh, I have two older brothers. And as a kid, I was very outgoing, had lots and lots of friends around me. Friends from different backgrounds, different cultures, Some who were like me, single parent, not lots of money. Others who were more affluent to parent families. But the school that we went to, our primary school, Brackenbury, was just kind of almost a melting pot Mm. for West London and people from lots of different backgrounds. And I had a great time at school. I had great friends. Some of those friends I'm still in contact with 50 years down the line. It it was wonderful. It was magical. Um, But I wasn't academic at school. That's the thing I do know. Uh, And I found an old school report the other day that says she was very talkative. (laughs) Couldn't possibly be me. So for me growing up, I didn't notice the differences Mm. that you probably are more aware of now. You know, you didn't have the Internet probably was there because I'm not that ancient. But, you know, that whole social media vibe definitely wasn't there. Mobile phones were invented as I was growing up. Um, (laughs) Win. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, computers and things like that were there as I was growing up and more so when I went into the workplace. So you didn't have that kind of peer pressure that I think a lot of young people have um, today. So, yeah, a wealth of friends. As I sit here, I picture 
being on my bicycle during the summer holidays, cycling down our road. Um, because that's what you could do. And you could do naughty things like go and knock on people's doors and run off. Um, and that's just purely and simply because that's how life was. I don't believe I had the, what I think are the stresses and strains of a lot of young kids growing up now. I probably started to notice slight differences as I got a bit older. Um, because when I was at school, I had free school meals and it was only I'm going to say maybe five or six years ago that I talked about that um when I was at school didn't really think anything of it because there was probably a few people that that had that Uh, but because I was the youngest of three you know my mum worked really really hard worked you know a number of jobs so I got some of the privileged things to be able to do which my two brothers didn't get to to do and so therefore for me life was good it was probably tough but life was good being the baby as well yeah and the only girl why do you think it was hard for you to talk about having free school meals I think it was hard because it wasn't the thing you kind of talked about so if I if I as I look back having free school meals just meant I had free school meals and I think the time that it really came to my attention was when my mum said to me, so you'd have to take my uniform to the dry cleaner. There's a bit of a hint of uniform to the dry cleaners. And I left my, so back then, because obviously, you know, weren't computerised, used to have a, a little card that said, you know, you had a laminated card, free school meal. And so you'd have to show that. Mm. And I left that in the pocket of my uniform when it went to the dry cleaners. And my mum told me off you've put that in there. So now the people in the dry cleaners know you get free school meals. Mm. And I didn't think anything of it until, until that point. Um, And it was, I probably noticed it more when I moved out of primary school, because primary school, you, you, you know, I think our meals were all free for everybody at primary school. It was when you then got into more senior school that you Mm. kind of saw the, the divide. Mm. My mum was the same. So I was, eligible for free school meals but she refused to take them on the basis of pride because when you'd go up on the checklist if you had free school meals your name was highlighted yellow and so you could see who Mm. who was on the free school meal list um but it's it's so strange isn't it that we have we have such a a disgust i guess as individuals towards helping other people or receiving help there's a real pride attached to it there definitely is and i think it's because our parents will have thought we are going to work as hard as possible to ensure that our kids have the best and we don't want them to stand out or be different mm. to the next kid in line. And that's a really interesting one highlighting is that we do that. And I know that I do that now. You highlight, you've got to look out for that person. Yeah, it's just practical, right? Yeah. But you then don't associate that with, well, what's the impact that's going to have on that person? If mm. somebody sees, well, why is that person highlighted? And then you have to explain. And all of a sudden, that person becomes the one who stands out. Mm. But not necessarily standing out for the positive reason that was your intent. It becomes more of, well, they're different. And you explain their differences. Yeah. And they don't necessarily want that explained. Mm. So what secondary school did you go to? 
So I went to a secondary school called Burlington Danes. So there's a story behind Burlington Danes. So the I went in the year after it um, stopped being a grammar school. And it was an amalgamation of St. Clement Danes, which was an all boys school and Burlington School for Girls. And they became Burlington Danes. Um, so when I applied, because it was the best school in the part of West London that I was at at the time, I had to go along, have an interview. It also had a very church background, a Church of England background. And I remember sitting in the interview and he still stays in my mind all these years later, John Moore. So he was the headmaster and you had to do some reading and comprehension and all of that sort of stuff. So it wasn't an 11 plus. And he did the interview. And I remember now just sitting there thinking, I really want to get into this school. I really want to get into this school. Pretending to be really pious. Like, let me in. <laughs> you know, I deserve to be here. And I got into the school. And actually some of my friends got into the school. But because it was such a good school, people came from around West London. So they came from Greenford. I mean, at the time, Greenford, where are you? <laughs> Ealing, um, Shepherd's Bush, Holland Park. It, ha it was an absolute melting pot of young people from middle class backgrounds, from council estates, working class backgrounds. Everyone was at that school because it had such a standard. Now, the thing about Burlington Danes is you had two types of students. You had the academics and you had me. <laughs> it's like mean girls when they walk into the canteen. They're like, this is who you have over here. Exactly. Whereas for me, I was like, oh, I'm not an academic. I can talk. I can communicate. I can use the right side of my brain. I'm I think I'm creative, not that creative. I was dreadful when it came to academia. It was great in the lessons, but when you put me in a classroom for an exam under pressure, I'd mm. crumble. I'd crumble. Is that academia though? Is that just like, you know, rote learning basically? It is definitely rote learning. So you're very I, intelligent. I, I take issue with the fact that you don't you. think you're an, you're an academic person. So I am so controversial. I'm listening to Spare by... Um, Prince Harry right now. Oh, yeah. Juicy. It's very good. And, but he talks about, and, and it, it resonated with me because he talks about the fact that, you know, he wasn't academic. But what he said was, all they do is, it's a memory game and you memorise everything. So then when you walk into your exam, as long as you've got great memory, you can write it down. Mm. And I thought, you know what? That is so true. I just don't have a great memory. I mean, as I said to you earlier on, somebody's asked me about you, but I can't remember who they are. <laughs> I'll just go out onto social media and say, who asked You're going to have to give out business cards, which like, I will not remember who you are. I will not so. remember who you are. You may know who I am, but I don't remember who you are. Um, so for me, when we got to the end of our O-levels or CSEs, I was saying to somebody, you know, their O-levels and CSEs, I stayed on an extra year because I didn't do brilliant. And... Uh, did my uh, business, I did some business and finance, um, got my level twos back then. Yeah, level two. So that'd be the equivalent of GCSEs. Um, got my English, got my maths, two most important things that you need to get. And I then went on to college. But then I had a lot of friends who went to university 
who either then went into acting, um, they went into teaching, they went all that, they did all sorts of stuff. I remember one day sitting at her home watching The Bill and lo and behold, I was like, I went to school with her. <laughs> I knew she was arty, but I didn't expect to see her on television. Um, so, so that's the thing about Burlington Danes, you know, you could go in lots and lots of directions. But it's taken me a long time to get where I am today mm. and to feel confident in where I am today and to walk into a room and people come up to me and go, oh, it's you. Oh, it's what? So yeah, please, can I'm I like, talk to you? Yeah. And I'm like, all right. Yeah, fine. Lovely to meet you. <laughs> I'm just Sharon from Shepherd's Bush. You said that your school was a melting pot. Yeah. So there are people from all walks of life. Do you think that that was a a positive thing or do you think that might have created some tension between people so I've spoken to different people who have come from schools like that and some have said it was really great because I got to meet loads of people and empathize with them and others have said actually it created tension because some people were the haves and the others were the have-nots it's an interesting one because I I see myself as somebody who is in that middle ground so I was a young black girl of West Indian heritage who had friends who were from a council estates, who were white from a council estates, black from council estates, who were middle class, who lived in W6, which is the posh part of Hammersmith and W6, and the other side of Goldhawk Road. And I lived on this side of Goldhawk Road, <laughs> the W12 side. And I think for me, I was just like, I want to be friends with everybody. Mm. So I didn't really notice it as much. But then I would have my group of black girlfriends that I do things with. And I'd have my group of white girlfriends that I'd do things with. And some, and I'd have that mix, I'd have that mixed group of black and white friends that I do things with. But some of my black friends didn't mix with my white friends and some of my mm. didn't have black friends. But whatever it was, I just stepped from one area to the other. Yeah. Because I didn't really see that tension. Didn't or I didn't feel that tension. It may well have been. I was like, well, they're my friends. So I like them. We've got things in common. They're my friends. I like them. We've got things in common. Um, and it's just the way I've always been. Yeah. And I think I've been fortunate enough that I haven't had some of probably the negative experiences. Or maybe I just live in my bubble to protect myself from some of those negative experiences. Well, it sounds like I, you can find common ground with anyone, yeah. but also it sounds like you've got groups of friends that you have a shared characteristic with yeah. or a shared identity that you think is important to actually, you know, do things with. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and I've continued that through my whole life. You said that you went to college and some of your friends went to university. What was it like for you at the start when you felt like your friends were going off to university, you were going to college? You talk a lot about not being academic. Was that something that you internalized at quite a young age, that you were sort of not academic and then they were and that's how you defined yourself? That's absolutely how it, how it worked for me. So I always knew that, well, one, I didn't ever think about going to university. That was never on my kind of plan um, to do because... I couldn't afford to go to university. So that was the starting point. Um, to me, those who went to university were very academic, very bright. I've now learned most of them are lazy, but you know that's <laughs> just my perception of them. So I never really had it on my radar that I would go off to university. I think for me, it was like I've had enough of that 
stretching kind of learning, but I still needed to learn. So I then went off to college, you know, stayed in contact with a lot of my friends who were at university who did seem to be enjoying themselves, who did seem to be partying quite a bit. Um, and we'd meet up in, you know, in the summer holidays or whenever they were back home. So that hasn't that hasn't changed. That, that hadn't changed for me. I just decided I needed to do something much more vocational. So I went off to do my BTEC in business and finance level three. I am so passionate about BTEC. So anybody from potentially DFE who might be listening to this, the fact that you want to remove BTECs is a really bad idea. That's what I'm going to say on that subject. I've said enough already on it. Um, and actually that then really did set me up. So once, whilst I was at college, you have to do um, a placement. And I went to work for, oh, I think it was a couple of weeks for an advertising contractor called PrimeSight. <clears throat> and you may have seen them. They do the great big advertising hoardings uh, that you see out there. And uh, Len White is amazing. I cannot remember the name of the person who asked me about you it remember. the week, <laughs> but I can go back 30 odd years, <laughs> 30 odd years, and remember Len White. And he came in again as one of those business lecturers coming into college and said, I've got work experience opportunities, part of your placement, do you want to take it? And I went, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Yeah, great. Thank you. And then at the end of it, he said, when you finish your studies, we have an opportunity for you to come and work for us. I was like, fantastic. I've got a job. I'm going to go out to work. Brilliant. Uh, it was great. You know, it was. And, and I've. I've often found it's not that opportunities land at my feet, but I just have, I seem to be in the right place, right time with people prepared to take the chance um, with me because they clearly have seen something. And I think to myself, oh, well, these young people that I look after that come in, God, they think they, they think they know everything. And I look back and I think, actually, do you know what? I was like that. Because I worked in the finance team and I was always questioning, well, why are you doing that? Why can't you do that? You know, oh, I don't like that. Blah, blah, blah. And, that, and then I got told, Sharon, when you've had 20 years of experience in doing that, <laughs> you'll understand why. Um, and then you'll have the right to question at that time. And that's always stuck with me because I guess it's not that people feel threatened. They just have a way of working and a style and mm. how they do it. And when you are young and just starting your career, it's and you're curious, there's almost a level of curiosity you can go to without tipping over. Mm. Um, and I think I tipped over at that point. Overstepped the line a little bit. You need to get yeah. back in your box. Exactly. And that was exactly <laughs> it. You know, so when I started my career, so back at Prime Site was in finance. And then I got made redundant. And that was probably the scariest thing ever. You know, I'd gotten used to having money coming in. I was, I was leading a good life. I'm not going to say it was my best life. I was leading a good life. I really enjoyed it. And then I got made redundant. And I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Mm. Um, but actually, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And that's because I then went to work for Cadbury Schweppes, got the job at Cadbury Schweppes. So I had three interviews, three job interviews with three different companies. And 
one of the companies, I don't think they ever came back to me with why I wasn't the right person for them. The next company, their feedback was she's only looking for development opportunities because she's asked us, what sort of development could you give to me? Which seemed a bit strange because as a company, you'd expect them to want to develop you. And you'd expect them to want that the person that's sitting in front of them says, you know, I really want to be developed because I want to be the best I can be. But it was seen as a negative. We just wanted someone to come in and just do the job. Yeah. And, so right. I didn't get that job. They're lost. So I then, <laughs> I then, and then I went to Cadbury Schweppes <laughs> and, um, and, I got the, and I got the job with them. And I went back to Prime Site. Now, this is going to be really controversial. So you can either edit it out, you can keep it in. I'll leave it up to you. And it was probably the first time I really had a smack of unconscious bias, or was it conscious? Not sure. I'll leave the listeners to be the judge of that. Was uh, because it was advertising, they were going through the recession. So obviously, advertising, you know, companies cut back on everything. And they called into the office. I remember it so well. Me, Kevin and Brenda, three young black uh, individuals into the office all at the same time and said, we're making you redundant. So none of the consultations. See, now when you go into HR and you become an HR professional, you learn the way that it should be done. Mm. But of course, back then, didn't know, didn't know all the bits around employment law. Now, I was fortunate. I had a friend called Christine Butler who worked in HR for Prime Site. So she'd given me the heads up the night before. Sharon, you're going to get called in. And uh, she'll have been well retired now, so it won't matter that I've given her name. And um, so I knew what was happening the day that I walked in. But it was just the three young black um, employees that were called in to be told they were being made redundant. So... Uh, get told you know you get the news it's devastating anyway so when I got the job with Cadbury Schweppes I was still on garden leave from prime site and I remember going back into the office and saying well I'm on gardening leave I'd like to end that early with my small amount of redundancy because I'm going off to work for Cadbury Schweppes mm. thank you very much <laughs> and goodbye and that's exactly what I did um, and then never looked back from there and then when I got to Cadbury Schweppes, had a great time there. Absolutely loved it. Um, you know, this massive brand, you know, that you normally go into the shop and you buy the chocolate. I worked for them. It was a sweet shop for us there to take things. Um, and that was the platform that set me off because the Schweppes side was the Coca-Cola side of it. And I was like, I'm doing finance. Oh, but I'm really bored. One of the things I do is I get bored. Doing finance, really, really bored. So vacancies for the Coke side were there as well. It's like, I think I could do sales. I'm sure I could do sales. And um, I applied, went out in, had my interviews, went out in trade. I remember a guy called Matt. And I uh, spent the day out with him. It was fantastic. And they said, so we're going to take the risk on you. Yeah, we're going to take the risk. You've got no sales experience but you just seem to have a connection there. It was the hardest bloody job I'd ever done. In sales. Sales. <laughs> in central London, trying to convince um, offices 
and workplaces, you do want one of our soft drink vending machines. It costs you nothing. And um, in the middle of winter and you're like, oh, I've got my sales targets to hit. Oh, my God, this is so hard. When we talk about building resilience, that really built my resilience. And I say to people now, if you could survive that, you can survive any job as far as I am concerned. So everyone should start their job in sales. Yeah. Start your job in sales. You'll build your resilience. You'll build your confidence. And um, and this is really showing my age. And I was, um, I was like, worked really, really hard. And then there was Euro 96 and it was England, Holland. And we had a sales incentive and I won that sales incentive. And I went to see England, Holland. And it was when England beat Holland at Wembley. I was in my element. It is the only sales <laughs> incentive I have ever won. Um, but it was the fact that I was I was there. Euro 96. I'm not sure you were even born yet. So if you know me, what you That's the year I was born. There you go. There you go. Very sorry. Yeah. You were living but, up in Wembley. <laughs> I was living up in Wembley. And, you know, and, but from there, I then was like, oh, I, I need to do more. I want to be a sales manager. So I then applied for promotions and I wasn't successful. I wasn't getting them. But that's probably because I was applying for the wrong jobs. Because when, you, when you're in sales in our organization, it's typically you're a sales rep. Then you want to go to an account exec. And then you want to go to maybe national accounts. And actually, that probably wasn't where my strength was. When I go in for interviews, a bit like exams, I wouldn't do very well. Mm. Um, and then we, um, so we were Coca-Cola and Schweppes Beverages at that time. And we were then having a split from um, that, that side of the organization and how it was set up. And they created Coca-Cola Enterprises. And that was with our North American counterparts and we had a brand new what's called a cooler program back then 1998 brand new cooler program so these are all those fridges that you see when you go mm. into stores all the branded fridges so i was part of the team oh, that that's so cool led that into into great britain and so i applied for a team leader role didn't do brilliantly again at the assessment center <laughs> but my friend maria took a chance on me she wasn't my friend then but she has become a lifelong friend since. Took a chance on me. She said, "I know it's going to be tough managing you. I so really <laughs> managing you because you're going to be like, oh, why do we have to do it that way? Why don't we do it that way? You'll always have an opinion about something." And she was right. Well, that's a great segue to our next question. You are obviously a careers expert, specifically early careers. A lot of our listeners will be starting out their career or even just thinking about what they might want to do. What are the do's and don'ts for you for young people starting out their careers? First one being don't overstep the mark. Yeah, don't overstep the mark. <laughs> I'm going to go with the do's. I'm going to say, though, do be curious because when I look at young people starting their careers or thinking about their direction, I always say to them, be really, really curious. Ask lots of questions. Don't put yourself into one box right now. You've got, this is awful, when I, when I talk to sort of 16 and 18 year olds, I go, you've got 60 years of working ahead oh. of you. Why would you want to narrow it, narrow it down now? Go off, explore, make mistakes, because actually you've got enough time to be able to correct and say, do you know what? I tried that. It wasn't for me. You never want to look back and go, 
if only I had. And, you know, interestingly enough, I always say to people, try and get some work experience. But actually, work experience is one of the hardest things to get when you are you know, young and have no experience. You need work experience to get the work. It's correct. <laughs> correct. So most organizations now are trying to be or trying to take an approach that's more inclusive, that widens participation. You hear a lot about widening participation. So, you know, for us at Coca-Cola, we've um, created a virtual work experience, but we've done it with a third party organization that allows us to use their platform because they're the they're the experts in terms of how to set it up and do everything. Go off and explore companies' websites and see what tools that they've got there for you to be able to utilize. We we talk about these are the different careers within our organizations, but there are a number of companies who maybe have guides to how to perform at an interview. Um, lots of hints and tips go and do your research you know and we talk about digital poverty a lot and that a lot of young people will where are they going to get the equipment most young people that i know even those who have less money typically have a mobile phone okay no one lives these days without a mobile phone and therefore the web enabled platforms means you don't use up your data within it mm. So go and be really curious on your, on your mobile phone. And that's what lots of organizations are trying to do is to ensure that they're not creating um, tools that use up a young person's data and therefore all, all of their money. Love that. <laughs> what about the don'ts? Have we seen any clangers? Um, well, that you can share <laughs> legally. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Employment we only ever share anything <laughs> legally. So I was going to say one of the don'ts goes back to kind of almost the positive is don't limit yourself. Um, you know, regardless of what your background is, don't limit yourself because you have to be the best version um, that you can of yourself. And if someone says to you, you can't do that. Don't just accept it. Ask them why or go and seek advice from others to understand why. And don't sit in a job that you don't like. The other thing is if you do make the decision to go to university because you think, well, actually, that's the direction I need to. Don't worry about saying I've made a mistake. This wasn't right for me. You know, we've had individuals who have come to us having gone to university and said, I made a dreadful mistake doing it. It just wasn't right for me. I wanted to spend my freshers week. Um, <laughs> just, go just for the week. Yeah. And just do that. You know, so don't don't think because you've gone down one pathway, you have to continue on it. Mm. You're just going to have to build the confidence and the resilience to say made a mistake. But it was best move for me so I was now it wasn't about going through an account manager way it was a people manager way and it was my first people manager role and I made mistakes I always talk about the fact I made absolute mistakes with it but again it taught me different skills um, and it taught me that actually you have to be really sensitive to some individuals the style that you might have and the standards that you might have are great, but you've got to always take your people with you. 
And there are still some of those teams in those very early days, those individuals who still work for our organization. And they say, yeah, Sharon was my first boss and she was tough, but she set the standard. And that's why I am, why I'm where I am today. And that, that's just always that pride thing for me. But then I got bored and I needed to move. I needed to do something else. So I moved into human resource or people and culture, as, as we call it. And I think that's where I found my true calling was being in people and culture. There are some very needy stakeholders um, in the our people. organization. <laughs> and I often use a phrase, they're just too many humans about. And that's just purely and simply because, you know, you're starting to deal with lots of different hierarchies, lots of different stakeholders, everyone wanting, we're all aiming for the same goal. Um, but sometimes that comes with the pressure of getting to that goal. And then, yeah, gradually it morphed. My roles have morphed. I've business partnered. I've taken on young people responsibility until we got to where we are today. The final question I want to ask you in this segment, you've moved a lot in your career and it sounds like you've always trusted your gut and the feeling that you had, which was, I guess, boredom is what you've described it as. For anyone who's listening, who started their career, maybe they're early on in their career, or they're sort of, I guess, midway through their career, maybe they're not enjoying it very much. How do you know when to walk away from something and say, this is actually not for me? That's very much about having good people around you because you need people as your sounding board. You need to say, this is how I am feeling. What's your guidance? You've got to have a good network around you, people that you can absolutely trust. And that might be some of the people that are, that you work with and people outside of it because they will, and you're, they've got to be people, good people who are honest with you as well. Because that way then they become kind of almost that compass of guidance for you. And that's what I've used around me. I've, you know, when I've gone for roles, I'm like, mm, I want to do it because I'm really bored with this one now. Do you think I can do it? Is it the right thing for me? Um, and I'll give you a situation, an example. A role came up in 2021 within the organization. Um, and I was like, oh, I really want to go for that job. I really want to go for that job. I'm going to go for it. I don't know when we go for jobs. I want to go for that job. And then I had a conversation with one of the VPs uh, within it. And I didn't get the right vibe about mm. it. So that was telling me something, something's not right here. And then I had a conversation with a friend and said, look, I'm not getting the right vibe here. And they were like, Sharon, there's probably already somebody in line for that job but also it's going to take you away from what you're doing from an early careers is that what you really want and there's lots of data and there's lots of stakeholders and so I was like mm, but I should be seen to be going for the job as well and I was like mm, I'm not sure if it's the right job for me um and in the end, I made the decision not to go for the job. And I was really clear about why I didn't want to go for the job. But I also said, I don't like my job title and, I want, and I'd like some more money, please. And I then had to put on my big girl pants, <laughs> which is probably not politically correct, but put on my big girl pants and have that conversation. And actually all the positives 
were unlocked from that conversation. So it is really about having good sounding boards to make sure that you're not going through your thinking emotionally, that you have that logical clarity when you make that decision. So if it's not the right job for you, it's that your friends will take away the emotion for you and they'll think about it logically. Um, and then you'll start to think about it logically. Um, if it's not the right job for you, if it's not the right company for you as well, your friends will help to guide you. And that's what's really important. Okay, Sharon, are you ready for our special segment? We are going to play a game called State or Privately Educated. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to show you five celebrities and I want okay. you to tell me whether they went to a state school or private school. I'm going to ask you why you think that. So I'm going to test your assumptions. Okay. It's a little thought experiment we like to do. The first candidate we have, Elton John. <laughs> what do we think about Elton? Hmm. Oh, he's an enigma, he really is. I think he went to state school. I think, if I'm not mistaken, he grew up in a council estate. That's what I have a feeling about him. Yeah. Mm. Yes, I think I think state school. Yeah. Because you think he grew up in a council, council estate. estate. Yeah. Interesting. I'm not going to tell you the answer till the oh. end. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find out at the end. The next one we have... Harry Potter, oh, Daniel Radcliffe. He was privately educated. Oh, he said that so confidently. Yeah, he was privately educated. Uh, not because I know what school he went to or anything <laughs> like that. I'm a massive but I think for me, it's the fact that he's gone into acting and went into acting at quite a very young age. And that for me probably says he had that kind of privileged network to get him into to acting. Yeah. So the, the industry is yeah. what's indicating yeah. that to you? Yes. Okay, that's very interesting. Thank you for your answer. Okay. So we're saying private school. Private school. Cool. Amanda Holden, Britain's Got Talent judge. <laughs> now, I'd love to say state school because she seems very... Love to say state school. I'd love to say state school because she seems very down to earth. Um, but there is a, there's a there's something that runs through her that makes me think she has probably gone to private school. I don't know, there's an air about her of privilege, but there is also a bit that's down to worth about her as well. Do you reckon the privilege comes from maybe the fact she's probably incredibly wealthy now that she is a judge? <laughs> yeah, because there is probably yeah, yeah. that as well, yeah. But there, there is just something about her that makes me think actually it is private school for her. So we're gonna go private, private school. school, yeah? Because yeah. there's an air there. There is an air. Okay, yeah. so private school. Therefore, that's my perception. Cool. Whether it's my reality is another matter. We'll find out soon <laughs> Gordon Ramsay, the bad mouth chef. Uh, yeah, from family grew up Glasgow, if I'm not mistaken. To really good, like, comprehensive um, knowledge of these yeah. people. And I am positive. So then, was it him? Was he a footballer? He was doing professional. So he, I would say, would have been state school because he did football. And typically, your footballers go to state schools. Do you read a lot of these biographies? You got you got spare. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just bits of knowledge over the years. The so football is up. a state school sport, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am. Yeah, yeah, because it's a way out of. Um, well, it's not. It's a way out of maybe the background that you've grew up with, and it and it does, if you get it right, open up many many doors and um, lots of finance. So my um, one of my 
brother's dear friends, but his close family friend is Les Ferdinand. And um, I remember Les coming round to the house um, the day he got signed for QPR. And he came That's and so saw cool. my, my late mother and said, I've been signed by QPR. Um, oh. and, so, and, and, and so for me, I always associate football with state schools. schools. Are there any sports that you associate with private schools? Cricket, rugby, yeah. tennis. Yeah. Interesting. It's fascinating. Oh, God. <laughs> Jeremy Clarkson. What do we think of good old Jeremy? Um, the Jeremy face. What words could I use politely on? I mean, he he is he definitely is an enigma because, you know, I watched um, Diddly Squat or whatever it was, the farm programme he's got. And actually, it was really, really... Squat. I can't remember what it was called. It was the farm. farm. Yeah, but it's the farm Diddly Squat or something. Anyway, it's in Oxfordshire, <laughs> which is, you know, that that kind of privileged part of, of the Cotswolds that he's in. Um, but I want to say state school because there is something about him that has that, actually, I was going to say carefree, I don't care attitude um, about you. And, and you can get that from state school children who just think, you know what, the world's out to get me, so I'm just going to tell them what I think uh, because they don't rate me anyway. So I'm going to say state school. I've probably got these all wrong, but anyway, state, state school. school. Yeah. Okay. Should we see if you're right? Oh, right. Okay. Oh, it's all oh, moment of truth. <laughs> right. Elton John. Mm. You said state school. Yeah. Because there's just something about him that I'm positive he grew up in a on a council state. Yeah. You're correct. You went to state school. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. You got. One point. <laughs> Probably the only point I'll get. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe, yeah. you said private, private school because the industry acting very privately educated. You were correct. You went to a private school. Oh, you got two points. Okay. <laughs> I'm doing well so far. It's going, back, going downhill now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Amanda Holden, you were, you were confused on this one yeah. because you were like, I think maybe state school, but she's got this air about her that's privately educated. So you yeah. said private, private school. school. She did go to state school. Oh, oh no, she's got your first answer. She got oh my gut. Yeah, so I think the air about her maybe is because she's obviously. It's where she's now. As yeah, it's where she is now. Her. Yeah. She's forgotten her roots. Yeah. I hope she's not listening to this. Um, <laughs> so, two points. Gordon Ramsay, you said state school. Yeah. Of course, you went to a state yeah. school. So, you've got three points yeah. now. Okay. And then we've it's got. It's the only female that's tripped me up, isn't it? Oh. Yeah, Jeremy Clarkson, you were unclear on this one as well. Yeah, you said state school because he's kind of got that don't give a yeah attitude. He went to a private school. Oh damn! Clearly, that attitude so, applies to them as, as well. well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you got a three out of five. Well done. Okay, that's not bad. How do I compare to others? I can't tell you that. You're gonna have to listen to the podcast oh. and find out, aren't you? Um, how did you find that exercise? I think it's very much about my own personal biases are mm. definitely coming through on on these individuals um and i think it's because you look at them now as opposed to knowing them where they may have been mm. and you can't see someone's educational backgrounds so you can't you can't and i was talking about you this morning <laughs> oh yeah i was talking about you this morning and i you know and your story when we first met at cumberland lodge and I was saying when, you know, if you look at Sophie now, you know, she's a beautiful, young, white, blonde female. You wouldn't know her backstory. 
you would not know her backstory because you know mm. she's a qualified lawyer. She's she's um obviously the founder of the ninety three percent club. But people will see you now. Mm. They won't have seen you when you were younger. I can't tell whether that's a good or a bad thing. <laughs> but that's... shocking pics. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's the part. That's about people's perception of privilege and where they are so you know you're a lawyer you're a qualified lawyer so people will automatically assume because you are a qualified lawyer that you will have had that that you know kickstart in life mm. within it not how hard you will have had to work to get there and it goes back to what i said to you a lot of people come up to me and go oh it's showing blah, 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 blah. and i'm like yeah i'm the girl from shepherd's bush right but they don't see the start in life. They just mm. see the person that's in front of them today. And that's the difference. That's deep. I love that. Sharon, we are coming towards the end of the podcast, which is very sad. <laughs> the next two questions I'm going to ask you to wrap up are for the benefit of our listeners. So the first question is, if I could take you and put you into a time machine and send you back in time, what would you tell your younger self? What would I tell my younger self? Oh gosh, that's a really hard one. That's a difficult one. I think that I would tell myself things will be all right, that you will be successful. And and when I talk about successful, it's not that you you've got the trappings of wealth or or anything like that around you, but that you will get to a place that you are comfortable and that you are happy, that's what I'd probably tell my younger self. That's beautiful. You'll be happy. You'll be happy. Yeah. And the final question, it's quite a big one. I've just given you a lot of power. You are now in charge of the UK education system. What are you going to change? I'd get rid of all the ministers that are there currently. (laughs) With the exception of one or two. And I would put a larger percentage of funding into the education system. It breaks my heart, the amount of young people that are either excluded because teachers don't have the time to help them with their differences, whether that be a young boy who is restless in a classroom because that's actually the sitting down for eight, nine hours in a day being talked at is not how they best learn. They learn more so by doing, is excluded because they're seen as disruptive. Because a teacher that's got a classroom of 40 students, 40 pupils, doesn't have the time to be able to invest in that individual who probably has some of the best potential. So invest put more teachers into classrooms i would also be saying to to uh, as a minister i want more people in industry when they're thinking about a career change think about going into education take that business mindset especially into more senior schools take that business mindset in there and if anything teach children about the common sense maths you know um I talk very much about maths and English being really, really important. Yeah, I was on my way here today uh, to record this with one of my more mature um, apprentices. 
who has just completed their apprenticeship. And we talked about the fact that for her cohort, the biggest stumbling block was maths. Because everyone has to have maths at grade two if you're um, doing a level three apprenticeship or higher. Yet it's maths that 99.9% of people will never use in their day to day life. So schools don't teach the life skills for somebody coming out of education. They teach the academic skills. And that's what we need to really try and ensure that we're setting people up for success. And that's if I was in charge of education, I'd be looking at. And I'd also be saying apprenticeships are as equal a pathway to university. But apprenticeships aren't for all. I'd be saying put back traineeships, which the government has just taken out. And I would be saying create choices, more choices that businesses can work with rather than chopping and changing every five minutes. First stop OBE, next stop minister. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it. Well, I thank you. I'll let <laughs> you know. <laughs> Sharon, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. If our listeners want to follow you and keep up with you, where can they find you? They can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. And I've got really simple handles of S. Blyfield or Sharon Blyfield. Perfect. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you for watching and listening. If you've enjoyed this, then make sure to like, share and subscribe. If you want to join the 93% Club, then visit our website at 93%.club or search for us online. Don't forget to follow us on socials. See you next time.